When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You are listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast brought to you by Birmingham Live. Hello, welcome to the Claret and Blue podcast. My name is Dan Rowlands and I'm joined by my colleague Matt Kendrick. Matt, how are you, mate? I'm all right, mate. I'm all right. I'm a little bit flat. How are you? Yeah, yeah same. My <laughs> Wi-Fi has been bad all day. We've had power cuts, so bear in mind any technical problems. We've got Matt Davis on standby. You've seen maybe once or twice before listening. It didn't the off chance I disappear. Um, loads of comments flooding through on YouTube already. People waiting for the stream to start. And David Ham says, where's Matt Kendrick to make sense of all this? So, Matt, you're here now. <laughs> Tell us what you've seen this afternoon at, at Anfield. It's funny that, that David Ham should be asking for Kendrick because it's normally Kendrick asking for Ham. Um <laughs> I'm I'm back. I'm back. Um, make sense of it. I don't know. I don't know. Just I thought Liverpool were there to be beaten today. To be honest, mm. you know we know they've had this kind of ropey record at Anfield, and same old thing, isn't it? You know you, you, you're struggling. Who should come along to uh, put you put you back on the right path? It's Aston Villa. Um, I just thought they lacked Villa lacked a bit of intensity. To be honest, even even with a you know the Alexander Arnold, fair play to him as 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 ping one in the bottom corner, you know, in the last the last moments of the game, and brilliant, brilliant finish. But you know, we know what he's Gareth Southgate might not know what he's capable of, but we know what he's capable of. So why are we why are we not getting closer to him in the last minute of the game? You, you know, you've already kind of put in a performance that could have got a win, but should have got a point, and then you're just standing off people with that quality in the in the last last moments of the game. So. I don't know. I think I thought it had a little bit of a ring of the the game at Villa Park, not not the game at Villa Park this season. The game <laughs> at Villa Park the previous season, uh, you yeah. know, when we we got ourselves got our noses in front without Jack Grealish again that day, and then there was a, a kind of sting in the tail late on again. Um, so yeah, just 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 miserable and, and flat to be honest. At a, on an afternoon where I thought having turned the corner late on against Fulham last weekend. We could have kind of really kind of made a statement that we, you know, this season's not dead. That we still want to kind of finish with a finish with a flourish, and I think we kind of wasted that opportunity today. Just talk me through the goals. There's been a lot of people talking about kind of poor defending from Villa and being a bit lazy or standing off. God, I will admit, I didn't see the second goal because I had a power cut, so I'm not even seen. As far as I'm concerned, it's one all. I'm pretty happy with that. <laughs> talk, talk me through the goals and, and was it poor Villa or, or good Liverpool? Um. <sighs> I think the, the 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 first goal was again. I think Villa were. I think Liverpool played through Villa a bit too easily, and then you know should Tyrone Tyrone Mings have reacted a bit faster, knowing that Mo Salah is sniffing around him for the for the rebound, possibly so. Um, but I think I think the the last goal, obviously that goal was frustrating because I don't I don't think Villa made Liverpool work hard enough for the goals to be honest and. I think the, the 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 winning goal from from Alexander Arnold, you know, Martinez has pulled off a, a brilliant save in the midst mm-hmm. of it. You know, a, a point blank range save, and 
having done that, having having protected the goal that way, you think that he's that the players around him are going to do do their damnedest to to stop, you know, to to clear the danger. But yeah, I, I thought it was. I thought the frustrating thing was that, you know, probably a minute earlier at the other end of the pitch, Barclays had a, had an opportunity where Watkins has found him. Barclays, to be fair, has found 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 himself in space, and Watkins has picked him out with a great ball. And then I don't know who it was. There was, I think. Barkley's ummed and hard over trying to get his shot away and then run into another Villa player and the opportunity's gone. Then lo and behold, down the other end of the pitch, Villa Villa have blown it. Um so I just I just I just found found it was disappointing all round because we're not facing a Liverpool of last season, we're facing a Liverpool of this season. A Liverpool who are down on the look because the home form has been so crap, and a Liverpool are down on the look because they've got it all to do in the Champions League. You know, that's the time to turn the screw. You've got in front. You've not only have you got in front, but you've you know, come out on the right side of a of an offside call going mm. into half time. You've got to be more streetwise. You've got to be better and a lot more together than than, than Villa were in the second half. And I think that's that's the frustrating thing. You know, we're probably arguing the toss, aren't we, over over whether Villa finish? I don't know, twelfth or twelfth <laughs> or thirteenth or something <laughs> like that. So in 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 the you know, in the grand scheme of things, it might not make that that much of a difference. But I just think, you know, it's a wasted opportunity. As literally, that's the words out of my mouth. I was about to say, do you think that's a wasted opportunity to go one nil up just before half time, and then you get the, the like you said, the right side of the VAR call, which we've talked about VAR a hell of a lot on this podcast, and even watching that as a Villa fan, it went in our favour, and ultimately, it's not impacted the result anyway. But that's a mental decision I don't think that, that's offside it's level isn't it and we've got away with one but you you think that as a football fan I think god this is this is rubbish isn't it but that's the opportunity for Villa to go on and push on then and like you said put Liverpool to the sword and maybe go to front or switch things up a bit and, and we don't do that and, and that's why it's frustrating you think yeah I mean a frustrating a frustrating thing for me and this is uh I think I've used this phrase before. I think it's what Martin O'Neill used to call a Monday morning quarterback, which I think is the same as being wise after the event. Basically, we can all we can all say what went wrong, you know, when it's already happened. It's a bit harder for managers in real time to make these decisions. But I thought Smith got his substitutes bang on last week. We're going to say that because they ended up winning them the game. I just felt it was a bit a bit strange today mm. that that you know, and I don't want to reinvent. Um, Christian, uh, I'm going to say Keenan Davis as the next Ronaldo, and I meant Fat Ronaldo, not New Ronaldo. I don't want to invent him as that, but he'd done enough. He'd done enough in that last 15 minutes against Fulham to, to not start. necessarily start. No, not necessarily. I'm not, I'm not saying he should have started, but I think he should have definitely been an option from the bench because he mm. must have been buzzing, hadn't he? You know, Dean Smith will have seen how he's trained this week, but you imagine Keenan Davis having waited so long for an opportunity and made the most of it last week. Must have been really kind of feeling strong and confident. So any kind of benefit that have had from that a week ago, now he's going to be, you know, lost by the time he play, plays the next game. So I think he, I think crying out for him to come on when Troyoro went off. To be honest, yeah. I think that that was that was a missed opportunity just to give just to give Villa a little bit more energy up there because I think I think by that stage of the game I think McGinn was finding it difficult to get up alongside um, you know to give give Watkins much much support up there and I just think Keenan Davis would have been an option to 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 give Liverpool something to think about. I think Liverpool kind of eased their way into that victory at the end because they weren't having too much to contend with in their own kind of third if you like so 
you know, it was just them eventually cranking up the quality to, to see off Villa. And I think I don't think Villa prov- provided enough resistance to stop that happening. And I don't think the substitutions that, that Dean Smith made, you know, did enough to, to stop that happening either. The comment from Gareth who says, Matt, I'm sorry, but say, but I've noticed every time you come on the show, we get beat. Sorry, stay out of here. Um, <laughs> get back to five or something. I mean, I don't Schumann. mind. I'd, I'd gladly just be sitting sitting downstairs eating Doritos, to be honest. So, I, uh, <laughs> yeah, if, I, if I'm the jinx, that that's fine. I'm happy to just chat, chat, go and memory lane into the ones with the former players and and leave the uh, leave the match day ones to the uh, to the lucky omens. Yeah, let's talk about Ross Barkley a bit because we talk about him every single week when he doesn't play. So we'll better talk about him when he has come on and played. That felt like a strange substitution to me as well. Jacob Ramsey looked like he coming on at one point with Douglas Luiz going down injured and, and that never happens. And you expect that when there is a substitution that he'd be up on the priority list for, to come on first. Um, and then Ross Barkley was not featured for weeks and has been behind Ramsey in every instance. Gets almost half an hour doesn't do a lot with it and you I don't know I just that's one of those ones that leaves me scratching my head thinking one why is he even come on in the first place and two why is he still not grasping this opportunity of, of trying to impress no you're right I mean I suppose this is a cliche time but I suppose on on the day of the Grand National Smith will say it's horses for courses and it's clearly something that's put him put Barkley in front of his thinking you know ahead of the other the other options today I'm not sure what that is. I'm not sure that what is what that is, and I don't want to kind of you know crank up the witch hunt for for Ross Barkley. But I think it's fair to say that he is so far removed from being the player that he was during the reverse fixture when mm-hmm. Villa kind of toyed with Liverpool. Um, I just don't. I, I don't think. Have we seen Bar- Barkley play well without Grealish? I don't think so. I think his best football game. Listen, I know we've only seen Grealish missing for the last couple of weeks, and mm. Barkley has not been on the pitch much. So, you know, he's not had much opportunity to show that he can play well without Grealish. But I'm not sure. I think Barkley, certainly in the early part of the season, came alive when Grealish was occupying defenders here and there. Then he mm. gave Ross Barkley that kind of that, that space, that confidence. You know, the chance to be Jack Grealish's foil. I think. You know, Barkley to me should have the quality and the experience and the ability to pl- not to be Jack Grealish, but to be able to provide that kind of quality when Jack's not not around. You know, mm. so I don't know. I, I, I feel like I feel like he's an easy easy one for us to dig out, but that probably comes with from being who he is. Do you know what I mean? He's an England international. He's moved for for big money in his career. We know what he's capable capable of. We know we've seen glimpses of it, glimpses of it in a Villa shirt. So we're probably judging him by really, really high standards. But this is the Premier League. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? This is this is a player who, who, who's come from a kind of Champions League contending club. To you know, he should be one of Villa's top two or three players routinely every week because of where he's come from and what he's capable of doing and. He's not. He's not even in the top top fourteen at the moment because when he's coming off the bench, he's not. He's not impacting the game. So, you know, I think I. I think we can safely say that Ross Barkley. You know, I don't think he'll be back at Aston Villa next season. You know, I don't I, think I, he'll be back. I think you know if this. Sorry, I, I agree. Yeah. I don't think he'll be back. But if you had the choice, would you have him back? Do you think there's a you know a bit of a gem in there to polish up? No, I don't. I don't think so because you know. I think if we saw saw the statement that Villa put out, 
yesterday, um, you know, talking about the, the accounts and, and where, where Villa are and where they want to be as a club. And there's a there's an interesting line in there. And I don't think it's I don't think it's rocket science. I don't think it's come as a surprise to any of us. But there's a line in there talking about how the, the recruitment and how their recruitment is to kind of I mean, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but to get talent and potential talent on the way up, get them pinned down for long pinned down on long contracts and make sure they've got an asset there either for the good of the football club in terms of getting them in the team or for the good of the football club they've got to sell on value. I don't mm. think Barkley I mean Barkley's not that old, is he? How old is he? About twenty six, twenty seven. Twenty seven maybe. Yeah. I mean he's not that old, but I don't think I don't think he fits the profile of what Villa want. I think Villa Villa want kind of like I said they want want to be the talent spotters. They want to get these gems who they can polish and and turn into kind of valuable assets. And I think Barkley, bless him, he's probably. You know, I'm not saying Barkley's over the hill and on his way down. I'm sure there's a player in there who you, you can be revived again. But I don't think it makes makes financial sense for for Villa to turn this loan spell into into a permanent deal, especially when you know some of the figures that we we, we were hearing. Last summer, you know, upwards of 30, 40 million quid. Yeah. I think that money can be better spent than on Ross Barkley. I think if, even if it's 10 to 12 million, I think you might be able to find better money, to be honest as well, with it, if you consider his wages as well. Um, the comment from Connor here, he says, if the season fizzles out and finishes and we finish 12th, is the season a disappointment, especially given Villa's start? Strange after last season, but disappointing in this group since December. And this is what the, the whole one-man team thing that we've talked about is annoying because we were rubbish with, well, not rubbish, but we were having rubbisher games. Rubbisher? What am I talking about? We are having games with Jack Grealish when Villa weren't doing great either. So it's not just that we've taken Grealish out and we're, all of a sudden we're poor. Obviously, without him, it's, it's going to be a, a struggle. But even with him, we had, we've had bad games since Christmas. That's four months now that Villa have had a bit of a, a, bit of a wobble that we keep talking about. Does that make it a disappointing yeah, I mean, season if, if you finish 12th, 13th, 14th? I mean, first of all, I think I need a red pen to mark your grammar and your made-up yeah, words. Yeah, um, you know, I've never heard you be, be rubbisher than that. Um, <laughs> it's weird, isn't it? Because we, we're in the midst of a season now, so we can't we can't take a step back and take stock because it's still happening and we, we still think that Villa can... Well, Villa still can influence games and put on good performances and win matches. There's still the capability to do that. But I think when we look back, when the season finishes and we look back, it's... if it, I think I've said this before, but I'll say it again. If this season would have happened in reverse and we'd have been really crap to start with and then we'd have pulled out that kind of run of form that we showed earlier in the season... Over the course of the season, we'd have still been half crap and half good, but the good would have been the most recent in memory. I think the problem is that we've 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 set the standards and we've we've shown that we can compete. Yeah. And having done that, almost kind of made a rod for our own back because anything less than that now, not I wouldn't say it's unforgivable because people have peaks and troughs and the, these inconsistencies of, of of all football teams. But it's what are Villa a Villa that that or are they that or is it, is it somewhere in the middle? But I don't know. To, to me, what was what was it founded on earlier in the season? You know, the, the su- success that they had was founded on obviously a strong platform at the back that didn't, didn't didn't give too much away. I still think that exists to a degree, although I think some 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 poor defending uh, uh, has crept in, and we we'll come to that in a minute. Mm-hmm. But it was it was founded on a kind of an intensity as well in forward areas. It was founded on Ollie Watkins not being a lone presence up front, but having a lot going on around him 
Um, you know, whether that was Grealish and Barkley, whether that was whichever winger turned up that that week earlier in the season. You know, that that that's not happened anymore. Yeah. And I, I think, to me, the league position is less concerning over what Villa are and, and, and what, what Villa's style of play is. And the big issue that, let's let's face it, you know, and I'm not saying this is good, this, be, this is because Jack Grealish is necessarily going to leave anytime soon, but what a Villa without Jack Grealish? You know, and that's the frustrating thing today, that they've proved that it can be competitive without Jack Grealish, but then not be streetwise enough to protect a lead or protect a draw. Um, so it'd be disappointing in the sense that we, you know, we're all looking, trying to dig out, dig out our passports, weren't we? You know, three months ago. So, it dis- whatever happens, you know, Villa aren't going to finish in Europe now, are they? I don't think. Um, so, it'd be disappointing in that sense. But I don't think on, on across the piece, across the course of the whole season, I don't think I don't think we need to, to be that, you know, harsh harsh on, on Villa because it's still it's still a, a significant step in progress. Yeah, especially if you were one of the people that thought we'd be finishing seventeenth again and, and just trying to escape relegation, we've done that. We obviously won't go down now, but like you said, it, I will be disappointed because this was probably the season we could have gone on to to do bigger things. But Jack Grealish missing for, missing for I don't know eight games or ten games or however many it ends up being is going to hurt anyone, isn't it? So, um, Matty Lang says, "Am I the only one who thought there were some positives from that? Is it a case that we were competitive with Liverpool for eighty minutes or whatever it was?" I was, I was thinking you know, during the, <laughs> yeah no during the last before Liverpool scored so in the last ten minutes I thought you know what about if I know it's a different Liverpool team but Liverpool Liverpool have gone into the top four haven't they I think for a couple of hours anyway hmm. what about if we were at the top you know I'm thinking back to ten years ago and we're, we're a Martin O'Neill team and we're competing in that area ourselves if you'd have gone to Liverpool and got a point got a one one with a team that was knocking around the top four and you were knocking around that area, you'd have felt quite, you know, you've taken that point, wouldn't you? And you thought it's, mm-hmm. a, thought it's a decent point. And I know Liverpool aren't, aren't quite at it at the moment, but I think if we'd come away with a point, I think it, I think it would have been decent. But yeah, so I think yeah, there I were agree. positives there in that sense. I mean, I thought Emmy Martinez did really well. I knew as soon as the commentator said that, you know, it's Brad Friedel's kind of yeah. what, 11 year record for clean sheets. I thought, well, okay, that's, <laughs> that's at least one goal going in. But I thought, I thought he was brave. I thought he was commanding. I thought there were, Liverpool were obviously brighter in the first half an hour or so. And when they were kind of pinging, I think Alexander Arnold put a couple, didn't he, into that six yard area. When they were doing that, Martinez was taking com- complete control of it and thought he was unlucky, really unlucky to, to finish on, on the losing side today. Um, just just thinking, talking about the commentators, it just made me, uh, made me laugh about Carragher when he, oh, oh. wow. And you, you think, oh my God, have I missed something? I think, yeah. I thought, has he just re- has he received a text message? Gary Neville sent nudes or something. You know, what's <laughs> what's going on there? And then they play, the, they play, <laughs> play it back again. And listen, it's it's a decent, you know, the balls come high out the sky. It's a decent enough touch. I don't think he kills it dead. I think he, this is Firmino, by the way. For me, yeah. Carragher, you probably all seen it on the on the during the the match, but Carragher just kind of starts gushing about this moment, and you you wonder if you know somebody showboated and done a done a three sixty and an overhead kick and stuff, and no, it's somebody can it's a footballer controlling a football. <laughs> um, but yeah, it just it just it just amused me. And somebody was some I mentioned it on Twitter. Somebody was saying, "Oh, Matt, but it was a decent touch." I thought it was a decent touch. But I mean, I, I saw um, 
I remember Andy Townsend once, he pulled a ball out of the sky. It got snow on it. It was so high out of the sky. It had been launched out of orbit. He was standing on the on the touchline near the Witten Lane, Witten Lane stand, and there were three opposition players around him, and he, he killed that dead. To me, that was a wow moment. Not mm. a Brazilian footballer controlling, half controlling a football, you know, in an empty ground with the run of the, <laughs> with the, run of the centre circle. But, um, yeah. no, listen. It's funny we're, you should we're, it's funny you should say that, you know, you kind of weren't watching and what have you missed? I was on, I think I was on Facebook doing a post, I think, and I, I've got my, my laptop open and I'm half paying attention and I didn't see what happened, but her okay, go, oh, wow. And I'm like, oh, what, what was that? What was that? And they showed the replay of him bringing the ball down. And, you know, sometimes when they show the wrong replay or they, they've not quite got to it yet, <laughs> yeah. I was thinking that they, that would that would just happen and they're about to carry be like, oh, this is what we've just seen. The fact that he's like watched it back and said, like, oh, great touch, great touch. Like you said, yeah, it was a good touch, but it's for me, you know, it cost millions and millions of pounds. A professional footballer in open space playing for Liverpool in, at home against Aston Villa. It's like, do you know what I mean? I expect nothing less. It's almost like when we massively praise up goalkeepers for making a save and then they'll do an interview. It's like, well, it's my job to keep the ball out of the net. And it's like, oh, yeah, a bit, bit of perspective. What's the alternative to him trapping that ball? It bouncing off his leg. Yeah, exactly. And then what do we say? You know, yeah, exactly. It was. Um, <laughs> it's funny you say that about you not watching it and the, the, the wow alert you lad I used to work with just tweeted me saying uh, I was load, I was just unloading the dishwasher at the time and I nearly <laughs> jumped out my skin when I heard I heard Carragher saying that you're thinking oh I don't know it's like you know it's like me looking out my window now and like seeing a leaf blown around the garden and going oh my oh my goodness wow <laughs> yeah, anyway what you expected um, we're going to talk about a couple of things we're going to talk about the wingers Tara Mings and Dean Smith, because there's a load of comments coming in saying, talk about this, talk about that. We're going to get to everything. We're just trying to go in order. Talk about Tara Mings. A few comments earlier in the stream, people saying that he's the most overrated uh, footballer in the Premier League, overrated defender. He's playing for England, and, and as we come to his liability, the usual buzzwords that go around every time that Tara Mings does something that isn't to the, his usual standards. What's your opinion of Tara Mings? We talk about him in little bits here and there when he does something either really good and we go, oh, yeah, great little turn, or he does something really bad. Is he overrated? Should he not be in the England squad? Is he where we need to improve in the summer? What's your opinion, Atari? I'm less fussed about him in the England squad, to be honest, because I think he's certainly good enough to be in Aston Villa's starting lineup. Um, I think the fact that he is in the England squad has probably led some people to believe that he's overhyped and that he believes his own hype. I don't think that's the case. I don't think it's the case that he's got arrogant or complacent from from being in, in England. I think, you know, listen, he, he, he got away with one when he's let the ball slip through to, for Salah today and Salah should have scored. Um, you know, he should have done better for the goal at, when when Salah did score. So he's centre-half. It's his job to stop stop opposing strikers scoring goals uh, and it's his job to keep goals out of, out of Villa's net. So in that sense, he's not done it today. Um, you know, we're talking about against about one of the best strikers in the world in terms of Mo Salah, uh, yeah. who absolutely loves scoring against Villa. I think he's carried on where Robbie Fowler left off many years ago of scoring against Villa virtually every time he plays. Um, I don't think, I don't think he's the world's best defender ever. I don't think he's the second coming of Paul McGrath here, but neither do I think he's the the second coming of I don't know Jose Angel Crespo or whatever his name is. <laughs> I think he can be somewhere. I think he, you know, I think he's a good defender, and I, I just I don't know. 
I don't know why we want to just leap and and and, and kind of throw hate his way. Mm-hmm. Basically, that's not to say he can't be criticised because he dropped he dropped a ball last week against um, Fulham. You know, so he, he's given one there. He's, he's nearly given an, another one today. So he needs to be better. His concentration needs to be better. He's playing alongside. Fortunately, he's playing alongside somebody in Esri Konza, who is really unflappable. You know, mm-hmm. and doesn't doesn't make many mistakes at all. So should Konza be in the, the England squad ahead of Mings? Possibly should, yeah. But should Tyrone Mings and Esri Konza be Aston Villa's? Centre back partnership partnership for the rest of this season and beyond beyond yeah they should as well because you know I think I think there's some I think they're both really really good players and I think they're a good partnership. Um, that's that's not me just excusing Mings making mistakes because he needs to be better than that. He mm. seems to polarise opinion so much, probably more so than any other player in the Villa squad at the moment. Even just looking at the comments, someone says Mings average at best. Someone else says he's static, and somebody else says he's class three different opinions there are very good average or, or nowhere near it and I don't really feel like you get that with some of the other Villa players apart from maybe the wingers we'll talk about the wingers in a minute I've had a great tweet about Troy but I don't know where I lie with Mings at the, at the moment is it because he's next to concert that his his low lights are more noticeable I don't know I, I think and I might be speaking completely out of turn here but I think because Tyrone Mings is a kind of vocal presence on social media, you know, he's there's a very public side of Tyra Mings, isn't that? You know, we've we, we've seen we've seen that he, he's really strong with what he believes politically, and he'll he, he wants to be more than just a footballer. He wants to use his football platform to kind of change the world in a better way. I think that's great. I think that's great that that, that we've got footballers who, who who want to do that. Um, and I think because he puts himself out there so much. He kind of invites it, you know, and I think didn't didn't he when 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 some of the fans turned against El Ghazi towards the end of last season, he was getting some stick to the point that he shut down his own Twitter account. As soon as El Ghazi comes back and scores a winner or, or something, Mings has kind of gone on there, hasn't he, and spoke spoke really kind of in defence of El Ghazi and having a pop at the critics. And I think sometimes people don't like that. They they don't they don't want people to be that that in your in your face. I don't mind it. To be honest, I, I quite like it. But when that happens and you make mistakes yourself, there's going to be a certain number of people waiting for you. And I think that's different from people who criticise him as you know who, who abuse him for, for his football. I don't think I don't think he is a terrible defender. I think he's prone to, prone to making mistakes. But you know, there's lots of defenders. You know, these 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 John Stones who's probably going to start for England in the Euros who's prone to making making mistakes thing is when you make mistakes in the Premier League there's millions of people watching you especially when you're a defender and it leads to a goal uh, Esri Konza he's barely put a foot wrong so he has been the better foot, he has been the better player out of that partnership but also how much do we know about Esri Konza how much does he put himself out there publicly you know it's a cliche but he lets his football do the talking and he doesn't kind of invite that on, on himself by, by being out there uh, and I'm, I'm not saying Tyrone Ming should 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 step away from it and and be quiet because, like I said, I'm 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 a, I'm a fan of him being this ambassador for Villa. But I think I think there's those two things. A A has been better, so Ming is going to going to look worse in comparison. And B Conza just goes about his everyday life seemingly with a minute with a minimum of fuss, 
whereas Tyron Mings puts himself out there. I mean, is that that's that's my theory, Dan. I don't know. Does that any of that make any sense? Or it makes sense, but I've not seen the recent comments yet. But I can already see people or envisage people saying, "Well, what he does off the pitch shouldn't, shouldn't matter. He will make a mistake in a game that will cost Villa, and that what that's what annoys me." No, I agree. I agree, but I, I think there is. I think the, and I'm not saying it's it's anybody who who criticises Minks, Minks, anybody who who criticises Minks is doing it from that 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 viewpoint. But I mm. think there are a degree of people who who have kind of made him the scapegoat because of that. Um, and there's some who've made him a scapegoat because he, he he's made more mistakes than <laughs> than the yeah. man alongside him, which is 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 understandable. The flip side of that argument from Dan Wilkes, he says, but does Conta look good because he's got a commanding centre-back partner in Mings next to him? Is it that they're a partnership th- makes Ezri Conta better? Well, you know, I think I think that's an interesting... I think that, that that's a really interesting way of looking at it because, yeah, I think they, they are. I think Villa, Villa's, Villa's back five is, is a partnership as well or a team. And I don't... I think when Mings, when Mings is... Caught in possession for overplaying, and that—that that, I think that's that's unforgivable. To be honest, mm. he should know. You know, I know he came to the game to the, the Premier League late, but he should know when to when to, to you know when to give it and when to when to, to hang on to it a bit longer. I, I'm not sure that the, the worrying thing for me is these couple that have crept in in the last couple of games. Like the one today was just a complete lapse where he's normally kind of, he doesn't normally do that. He doesn't let the ball run under his foot or, mm-hmm. or, you know, misplace a pass like he did, he did last week. So that, that's a worrying, a worrying trend for me. Um, but yeah, we, you know, it's, I don't know. These, it tends to be the Barkley and Ming show, doesn't it? When we don't, <laughs> we don't win the game. We tend to, to dig out the, uh, dig out the, those scapegoats. And I don't, I don't think it's fair, to be honest. Yeah, let's let's get away from the the Mings debate and push on to the wingers. Then the, we've talked a lot we, when we speak about wingers. You often refer to them as being flaky. That you know that's what a winger is sometimes. But you've got three there in El Ghazi, Trezeguet, and Traore, and I still can't put my finger on who's the best and worst of the three. They're all just a bit of a much of a muchness. And I think Ash said on a previous episode that if they all had a bit of each of them combined together. We'd have a, a half decent winger on our hands. I had a tweet during the game talking about Traore specifically from a guy called Tom Hanks Pants. I'm sure we've referenced him before because the name made us laugh. But he said, please, 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 can you discuss Traore in the post-match podcast? I need someone to explain why he's considered decent. He's consistently gives the ball all away, usually in spectacular fashion. What do you think about Traore? Because again, I've flip-flopped all over the place here. He'll do something brilliant, like the goal against Albion. And I think, oh yeah, good little tardy player in there. And other times I just think, oh, what's he doing? Like, I just don't see what he brings. And then you replace him with El Ghazi or Trezeguet. I think, Christ, they don't bring anything either. Oh, mate, between them, they're really flaky, flakier than an ice cream van full of 99s. Um, <laughs> what was it? So I just wanted to get some really crapper, crapper thing in. Um, oh, Troy, all right. I don't know. I think he's, he, he's dined out on enough good moments. You know, kind of, he scored. Has he scored half a dozen goals, I think? Um, oh, six, maybe, yeah. I think you know we've said it before, haven't we? Villa Villa definitely need an upgrade upgrade in that part of the pitch. I think I think Trezeguet is probably my favourite of the three, just because you notice him, don't you? And listen, sometimes you notice him because he's missing chances, um, but he just bring, we. This sounds really harsh, but with Trezeguet, you think that 
perhaps he's lacking a little bit of quality, but he'll try and do as much as he can. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it sounds very patronising. You know, he'll have a go. You know, he'll try. Yeah. And I, I think that that's that's why I put him put him above the others because he will try and impact a game. And you know, I, I always do this, Dan. I always try and get plugs in for, for for future podcasts and stuff like that. And we've got Steve Froggett coming up next week. And I don't think we asked Steve Froggett about this particular thing, so it's not a spoiler. But I've spoken to Steve Steve Froggett before, and he said to me as a winger. What you have to do is, even if you're not getting the ball or you're not beating your man and it's not happening, you've got to show show the manager and show the crowd that, you, that you, you're there and that you're doing stuff. And I think Trezeguet does that, even if it's kind of the extra tracking back that he does. Um, and I think, I thought he was really unlucky today, actually. And do, I don't know whether we've had an update on the injury that, that's that's whether Smith's spoken about it yet at his post-match. He looked to be in some kind of pain and some kind of discomfort. But what I loved about Trezeguet today was he's kind of, he's hit that shot against the post. It's come back and he's done absolutely everything he can to get on the end of his own rebound. He was never going to head the rebound in, but the fact that he even tried just shows that, you know, he cares, he really cares. And that's not to say that Troy Ore and Al Ghazi don't care because people, do you know what I mean? People conduct themselves in different ways but for me yeah I'd, I'd put Trezeguet at the the currently anyway I'll probably change my mind next week because I'm flakier than the, those three but I put Trezeguet as the, the the chief of those three wingers at the moment I still don't think I'd want Trezeguet to be starting in a Villa team yeah next season you know I think we, we need to seriously upgrade um, just again, like we said earlier in the podcast, so that we can start having that vibe of players around Ollie Watkins who are going to deliver the goods more often than not. Yeah, I think that's the the main point there, isn't it? Regardless of how how good the three of them are this year, probably all three of them won't be around the squad next year. Would, you, do you expect one of them or more of them to to leave the club even rather than just go down to to be back up? A lot of money, isn't it, to have sit on, sit on the bench? Yeah, I think one of them, one of them will go. I think, you know, I think we'll upgrade in that position so that that the, you know, hopefully Jack Grealish is back. Um, well, he will be back by then. Hopefully, Jack Grealish is hopefully. occupying one of one of one of. That, well, you never know. Yeah, what did we say in a couple of weeks? Yeah. Um, so yeah, listen, they, they definitely we definitely need to to upgrade in in that position. But I don't think we stated we giving away anything, <laughs> any trade yeah. secrets there, are we? Again, to polarise his opinion, Trezeguet always works so hard. He's the last winger I'd want replaced, says Patrick. And then the face says, Trezeguet's rubbish. And Neil says he's like a fan that has won a contest to play for the team. Um, I don't know. It's just... I don't know whether that... Is that is that a compliment or a criticism? Though? Uh, it's because a criticism, you always it? say... No, it's a criticism that of his ability that he's not... He's not, you know, he's won a prize. Yeah, he's not a professional yeah. footballer. He's won a prize. But we always say that we want play... play like a fan, and I'm sure he's meant to criticism, but we want players to play and give absolutely everything, and I think he does that. Yeah, I'm trying to find a comment from earlier. I said, no, nothing. I'm trying to find a comment, just funny comments. I'm trying to find one about Dean Smith. I think it's gone past now, which is annoying. I don't think I can scroll back far enough. Um, but it was basically, it was along the lines of the Smith out stuff, and there's been links to Stephen Gerrard coming this week. That's the wrong one. Um, taking over as manager and all these kind of different rumours spouting about We've talked a lot about Dean Smith, should he stay and should he go, and every week it seems to change. I'm intrigued to see what the comments on this episode say about about him. You know, he's gone as far as he can and doesn't make the right subs and yada, yada, yada. 
is this going to be just the recurring theme now for the rest of the season that Villa aren't going to get into Europe and aren't going to go down? So every game we win, we're going to go, yeah, part of the project, long term, he's going to t- turn us around, a few more signings in the, in the summer and we'll be fine. And every time we lose, we'll say, Dean Smith out, get rid of him. I don't like the precedent it was set if you've got a manager or in any work, work, walk of life, you've got somebody who hits every objective that's expected of them year on year, improves year on year, and you say you're not good enough. You know, mm-hmm. what, what What does that mean? Does that mean that if Dean, Dean Smith, within the first year, within the second year of the Premier League, has got to, has got to qualify for, for Europe, otherwise he's not good enough? I don't get it. You know, OK, we know that Villa have had a really, really strong start to this season that put them in good shape and that probably could have kicked on and, and made this season a lot more, a lot stronger than it was. But, you know, Smith, Smith's got Villa and, it, you know, and I know what we'll get back in the comments because people will say that it was Jack Grealish who did this and it was Jack Grealish who did that. And it was Jack Grealish who signed Ollie Watkins and it was Jack Grealish who signed Tyrone Mings to get us up and it was Jack Grealish and Jack Grealish and almost kind of airbrushed the part that Smith played in. Played in. Dean Smith came in to a Villa squad, you know, that was was drifting. You know, it was a decent squad still, I think, that inherited from from Dean from Steve Bruce, albeit a yeah. bit imbalanced. But somehow, and maybe it was because he got the X Factor with Jack Grealish, but he's still got to get Jack Grealish in a team that can win Villa enough matches to get into the Premier League. He's done that. He's delivered it. You know, and last season, I'll be honest, I think, and I think we've said this before, the the break in the season because of the because of lockdown restrictions, I think saved Dean Smith's job and saved Aston Villa's Premier League status last season. But Dean Smith and his coaches used that wisely to to hatch a plan that just about kept Villa up by the, the skin of the teeth. And Dean Smith and the people around him got the recruitment right that meant that Villa could take that next step by bringing in areas of quality. So Villa have gone forward at every single stage, every single season since Smith's been here. They've gone forward. Now, they might not have gone forward at the pace that people want them to go to. And next season, they might not go forward. They might go backwards. And if they go backwards, that's the time when you can have the conversation. But until now, I mean, what kind of message does that send out if you if you get rid of a guy who has actually, actually achieved everything and, you know, argument, arguably overachieved? I just don't get it. It's a nonsense to me. I agree. I mean, I'm, I fully agree with your point. But to try and play devil's advocate to represent people that are watching, there's people saying he's taken us as far as, as we can go and without Jack Grealish, his record speaks for itself and there's no plan B, etc. I'm trying to scroll through and, and summarise what a few people are saying that he's, you know, for Villa to, to, to take this step to that next level that can't be with Dean Smith. And I, I always find a little bit difficult difficulty with comments like that or opinions like that, that trying to read the future. Oh, Dean Smith can't get us into Europe. Dean Smith can't attract these quality players based on what? Do you know what I mean? Like, why we haven't seen that he can't get us into Europe yet, so he can't categorically rule out that he can't take us all the way, that he can't do this, he can't do that because we we've not seen it. We were mid table in the Championship when he came, and we're now mid table in the Premier League within two years, three years. Why would he then be sacked? And then if you're sacked, who do you replace him with? Who 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 can take us to the next level? Do you know what I mean? Who is available that? that can take us into Europe or can attract these players that that can do the things that Smith apparently can't? Well, let's let's look at who can't because I'll give you some names. Roberto Di Matteo, Steve Bruce, Alex McLeish, Tim Sherwood, Paul Lambert, Remy Gard, you know, and so on. 
you know, we've we've had all these people who have tried and they've come from different places with different reputations. And all of those, to one degree or another, Alex McLeish might beg to differ. We had Alex on the podcast and he still paints that season as a season of, you know, he's delivered what, what was asked of him. But they've all failed, haven't they? In one mm. way or another, they have all failed of what of the objectives that their their boss, so the CEO or the the chairman at the time, they have all failed to deliver. Dean Smith has succeeded for the last three seasons. He's succeeded, so <laughs> I, yeah, I, I agree. I'm not saying that Dean Smith shouldn't shouldn't be bright around his substitutions. I'm not saying that by now Dean Smith shouldn't have found a way with the players at his disposal to be constantly competitive when Jack Grealish isn't there. But there's a big there's a big there's a big difference to me between debating whether Dean Smith could do his own job better than there is debating whether somebody could do the job better than Dean Smith. Um but, okay, I think we're a long, long again, way off that. I hope we are anyway. Again, I agree with you, but again I want to try and put the other side of costs as, as much as I can. There's people saying well, the other managers that you mentioned didn't have the money that Smith had. He spent two hundred million in two two seasons, so he should be doing better with that that money spent. So does that mean that everybody in the Premier League who spent two hundred million, you know, should there just be should there be should there be twelve clubs in the top top six? You know, yeah. Villa of Villa of two years in the Premier League. So Dean Smith is playing catch up because of all those managers before him, because of the way the club was badly run before him. So why shouldn't a manager who's achieved and succeeded the objectives that have been placed on him, why shouldn't he be the one who benefits from Villa being in a better place to have yeah. that money to spend? And to, why shouldn't he be the one who's given that to try and try and do with what, what he can? Do you know what I mean? The, the money argument is a strange one to me because people want a better squad and they want us to have a plan B and they want squad depth. So the year that we come up, we have to replace all the ageing players that were left in the championship and all the loanees. So you have to spend that money. So I kind of, I'm going to write off 100 million odd and 12 players, but we had to make those signs to put a squad together. So don't read massive amounts into that. And like we said before, it's 10 million per player, which on average is pretty cheap for the Premier League anyway. And this year we spent 80, 90 million or whatever it was on five or six players that have come in and improved the first team. That's what building the squad is about and putting a team together that tries to get into Europe. So it's not like it, you can say, oh, we spent 200 million, but it's not wasted 200 million. It's not spent 200 million and got relegated. It's spent 200 million and got into mid-table in the Premier League. Surely that is proof yeah. that the concepts worked. Spent 200 million and moved move Villa forward. And, yeah. you know, I think it's I think it's this kind of um, microwavable meal mentality, again, where people just want things straight away. You know, we can't mm. we can't wait for this. We, we we haven't got the patience to wait for this 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 team and this squad and this vision to be realised, kind of organically, if you like. We need it. We need it yesterday. You know, we've we've shown that we can batter Liverpool seven two. So why aren't we battering every team seven two every every week? And the ones who aren't the one, you know. And if we if we're only winning six two, then let, let's drop let's drop two of the strikers. And then they, we've conceded two, so let's let, let's get rid of that those defenders because that you know he switched off at a corner, so let's forget him and let's bring the next one in. Mm. It's not the way the world works, is it? Well, it probably does. The Premier League does work like that, and you know football fandom probably does does work like that with people having yeah. unrealistic expectations. But we, we're on a level, we're on an even keel now. We, we've got a really solid footing with with good owners and a good kind of manager, CEO, director of football, kind of. You know, scouting model that works. Listen, if Villa were were in a relegation battle again, we could say, listen, 
this guy this guy's not learnt any of his lessons. He's not improved, but yeah. we've improved. Well, I don't know why. why, why I wasn't expecting a Dean Smith. Uh, uh, no, but this is the conversation, is it? Like I said, every time we lose, it's that oh, he's done as much as he can. Find somebody else. That's that's the conversation. That's the narrative that comes around. And again, there's still comments. And I, I'm I'm trying to play two sides of the coin here because my personal opinion is you can say with Dean Smith and you trust in the project, trust the process, or whatever buzzword you want to go with. So when I when I highlight any comments, I'm not singling out that person. I'm just trying to use them as the the other side, so to speak, not to make it us first them. But Marty Villain says 200 million for mid table of security. That's what I'm talking about. But yeah. <laughs> How much has Man City had to spend to win titles? How much did Liverpool have to spend to win the title? I think two hundred million to get into mid-table is the going rate, isn't it? Pretty much, you've got to spend lots of money to get into Europe. That's why Villa haven't been able to do it because we don't have the squad. If we spend another hundred in the, in the summer, then you look and say, "Well, Dean Smith has gone for mid-table championship, spent three hundred million to get Villa into Europe." We'd all be going, "That's pretty decent, actually." That's what we needed to do to take that step. When did um? When did 10th, 10th in the Premier League, when did 10th in the Premier League become mid-table obscurity for Aston Villa? Because I remember having a conversation, I don't know. Also, we've long for this for a long time. How, how many rubbish years did we have in the Premier League, we're going, in the Championship, where I go, God, I'd kill for being 10th and safe by, by April. I'd love that now. I'd love to be boring and, and be safe with, with 10 games to go. We wanted that for a long time. Now we've got it. It's not enough. Well, yeah, like I said, mid-table obscurity would, would be an absolute dream, wouldn't it? You know, and then we knew then how much Villa had spent. Yeah. And I, you know, I knew Villa had spent knocking on a, another hundred million last summer, and I still tenth would have been beyond my, my wildest dreams. And if 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 Villa would have finished fifteenth, fourteenth off the back of that, I wouldn't have called for Dean Smith's head on the back of them finishing fourteenth or fifteenth. Hmm. Um, I don't know. Listen, people, people obviously entitled to to their own opinions. I, I just. Villa, and we know we've got that lot down the road who always managed to outdo us in terms of being being a joke football club. But until the current regime and until till Dean Smith and the owners and Christian Perslow came in, I thought Villa were in danger of being a kind of a comedy club, really, mm. with some of the some of the the things that were happening towards the end of the the, the Randy Lerner era and some of the well all of the Tony Jar era. I think. We're a well-run football club now with grown-ups who who understand that, yes, we want to be ambitious and we want to look forward and we want Villa to kick on and start to compete and start to challenge, but we're not going to do that at the expense of, of, of gambling, you know, over, over-projecting, over if you like. Um, and it's boring when you don't win football matches and you're a steady... You know, you're, you're a steady, eddy football club that's trying to grow, grow carefully and slowly. It's not as fun as, as as a chairman coming in and playing table tennis with the goalkeeper and, you know, writing transfer yeah. equations and, you know, saying we're going to be bigger than Barcelona in five years. You know, well run is not as exciting as that, but it paves the way for something that can be as exciting as that. If Villa start going backwards under Dean Smith, I'll be the first one to say, listen, thanks for all you've done. It's been, you know, it's been a, an enjoyable ride, but we're not going to kick on with you. I don't think we've reached that. At, at, at the, I don't think we're anywhere near reaching that. What is that? What counts as backwards? Is that actually being relegated or being in trouble for a season and then getting rid during the season? What what counts as going backwards at this point? 
suppose it's okay. I suppose it's finishing below this where you were the previous season. To be honest, so Villa no. finished twelfth this year, and then we're on course to finish fourteenth the following year. You'd be wanting to change the manager then. I think it depends on what what level of investment had come and what what the objective was at the start of the season. You know, if Villa finished twelfth this season, and then the, the 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 vibe in the summer is we need another centre forward to help Watkins. We need another midfielder or a couple of midfielders. We need a couple of wingers. You know, if Villa kind of spend big and have this big statement that okay, we've been here a couple of years, we now really mean business, and it flatlines and there's no discernible kind of progress or Villa Villa fall backwards, then you would have to you'd have to look at the whole thing, wouldn't you? And you'd have to say, well, was the recruitment right? Was the you know, what did the manager do? You know, were the players that we signed any good? And I think I think there'll be time. There'll obviously be time for, for inquest. There'll be an, there'll be an inquest or an investigation into into this season. But what will it show? Mm. <laughs> it will show that Villa have moved forward. Yeah, I agree. Um, and it's probably a good time to wrap up this podcast as we've talked for almost 50 minutes. And for those that enjoy f- serious football chat, this podcast has been that. And hopefully we've put both sides of the argument on, on the Dean Smith debate, amongst other things to you. But for those still watching live, that was very heavy. Have you got any silly nonsense for me before I can go, go on with the rest of my day? That's like a very serious chat for you, Bill. You've normally got something. Have you watched really... Ozark? Have you watched, no, that? Do you watch Ozark on Netflix? No, I've not seen. Oh, it. it's all right. I've, I've I've come to it a bit late, and um, do you know do you know the premise of it though? It's, I won't I won't spoil it, but it's it. kind of somebody who la- somebody somebody who launders drugs money. Anyway, but I've not really come across this fella much before. Who's in it? This actor called Jason Bateman, but he actually played. He did the voice of the fox in. Is it Zootropolis? Oh, you yeah. watch Zootropolis? I've not seen. I'm it, losing no, you here. Anyway, basically, I'm so I'm I'm. I'm <laughs> Well, I'm in this. I'm deep in this kind of binge watching this at the moment. But so there's this real kind of serious kind of drugs money launderer. But I can't get out of my mind the fact that he's a cartoon fox. So I just wonder whether anybody. <laughs> I wonder whether anybody shared my kind of. <laughs> let's stick to pork chops, mate. I'm losing. I'm losing people with this. So I've, I've got nobody with this. It's um, an, an interesting point, though, when you see somebody in something else and you just think, "Oh, that's so and so from whatever." I've done that before. I can't think of a specific example, but once you've seen somebody like in Harry Potter or something, you go, oh, that, that's that's Harry Potter, and now he's doing serious acting, yeah. Escape from Prison or whatever that thing is on, on, on Amazon. It's Harry Potter, use some magic. That's all I think. Well, I can, the thing is, I can watch Tom Hanks in something serious without thinking there's Woody. Do you know yeah. what I mean? You say that, but, but we we watched Castaway the other night, and when he's on the on the beach and he's got Wilson the ball and he's moaning about whatever it is and he's trying to start a fire or whatever, I said, close your eyes for a second. When he starts like screaming and wailing, I was like, this Woody. So I do think Woody when I hear Tom Hanks if I close my eyes. So when uh, when someone is famous and that and they've been in everything, you do think, oh yeah, it's Woody. Yeah, well, listen, get onto Ozark. It's good. But okay. before you watch it, watch um, what, is it Zootropolis or Zootopia? I normally get I get I think, Zootropolis. Uh, isn't it? I think it's the Zootropolis. I think yeah. Maybe maybe you should watch them. I'll watch them the other way around, and I'll wonder whether it's Jason Bateman's character in Ozark as the fox instead. Maybe that'll make Zootropolis a better watch for me. I wonder if yeah, like a drug deal. I wonder if is, is a drug dealing fox worse than a foxy drug dealer? <laughs> God, well, uh, we're done. I think we're doing it. I just wanted to give you mentioned the Steve Frog podcast earlier and just want to give it a plug. I've got a clip lined up that we'll play to end this episode because I've 
I've loaded it into the system anyway, so we might as well use it. I put together a little trailer, which you said on WhatsApp was one of the best ones we've done, which is praise from you. I don't normally get don't normally get praise. I I enjoyed it, mate. It it, come, it brought it all flooding back. I mean, we've had some feature length ones, haven't we? Lately, I mean, the Brian Little one was an epic, hundred minutes long. How how tight did you cut the froggy one down? Froggy one is, is an hour. It's bang on an hour. Because I think that's, I think it's, and again, I am going to big it up, but it's full of kind of great. I mean, the trailer is brilliant, but it's full of kind of great, funny stories. But there's some real kind of poignant moments about yeah. kind of some of the setbacks in his career as well. So, uh, no, I think it's brilliant, and we've had some. We, we tend to have some good feedback on the YouTube comments and on, and on Twitter and stuff like that. But I love doing them. I love doing them. It's really, um, you know, I, was ch- I went for a walk with my dad this morning. I was just chatting just general, just how, how things were. And he was asking me about work and stuff like that. And I just said, the podcasts, it's kind of, not these, not not these were you, I could take or leave these, but the ones with the, uh, the ones with the former players, people say never meet your heroes. But the ones that we've done, not only have we kind of been on a, on a journey down memory lane with them, but they've all been cracking out there. They've all been really, yeah. really good blokes as well. Really, really up for it and having a laugh and stuff like that. So yeah, uh, the little bits like nah, pre-recording and after recording are good when we're talking to them just casually. It's not like a right. We've said twelve. Like let's start, and then they have to like turn it on. They're just normal, normal blokes. And I, I, I tweeted the Froggy trailer saying like I say it every episode, and I, I do say it every episode that the newest one always becomes my favourite. Pretty much. Uh, that's a bit of a cliched, stupid thing to say, but like they just keep getting better. But we've not. Uh, there will be a period where that's wrong, and that'll be harsh on whoever that is. I go, mm, actually, that wasn't as good as Brian Little, whoever. But so far, it's always like, oh, Froggy surpasses my expectations. We've got John Gregory coming up. That's a massive long one. That's really good as well. And every time one comes out, I go, great bloke to speak to. So good. This is my favourite podcast. And I, I'm wondering when we get to that peak where I go, mm, actually, that wasn't that good. I love the. I'm looking forward to that when you promote it on social media and you, you at, at the person in and you go, yeah. <laughs> Take or leave this one, to be honest. Right, we'll get out of here. Thanks, everyone who joined with our post-match chat this afternoon. We appreciate all your comments, as always, and thanks, Matt, for joining me as well. We'll close out this little Facebook Live and podcast with with Steve Froggett. Um, Froggett? Steve Froggett. Uh, The full podcast will be out on Tuesday, so come back for that. And, uh, yeah, thanks for watching, and we'll we'll end with Froggy's stories. And I had to knock on the first-team door, and I had to go get on my hands and knees and bow down and go, Blom Bombshell, please may I clean your boots? I literally got a right good kick in and got chased around the training ground by by Platy, Alan McAnally. I remember once being thrown headfirst into a dustbin because I didn't do his boots. <laughs> from the moment Dino arrived from Liverpool, I made him goal after goal after goal after goal. Literally every week I was putting on the plate for it. So we've gone into the players bar this one, one night and he's introduced me to his wife as the person who just made them their second million. <laughs> so in the early days, Steve Staunton used to hit the ball. I'll be, I'll be five yards away from him like an Exocet missile. I said, can you not just lay it into me so I could actually on the half turn it? And I went, you're not playing with John Barnes now, you know? And he went, don't I know it. <laughs> when, when I retired, my missus said to me, uh, you've been asked to do a modelling job. And I'm thinking, uh, okay, fine. So when we got there, they've gone, right, make up. They only painted us as lions. I'm, not, I'm, now, I'm now not happy. I've got in my car, I'm fuming now because I was going on to another gig. Piling down the motorway and I've gone through two speed cameras because I'm, I'm just oblivious to what's going on. I've got a speed thing coming through. I'm thinking, I can't remember when that would be. So I said, I said, I said look, were you driving my car that day? Asked for the official photographs. <laughs> but two weeks later, photos come on. Big head of a lion, it's me. <laughs> I think they felt so, so sorry for me thinking, 
our life must have been so tough for this like if, if, if he was a professional footballer he's got to do this for a living now we, we'll just let him off <laughs> thank you for listening to Claret and Blue and Aston Villa podcast if you enjoyed today's episode then please do let us know we love hearing your feedback we'll be back soon with another episode but until then up the villa up the villa